Mary Paul needs no introduction. It's always a joy to be able to speak well of our friends. So uh, first thing you need to know, if you don't, is that she's a Texas girl. There's always a, always a little bit of a welcome shock to me when I make my way through Europe and finally reach the door of the Heinberg house and get a big Texas welcome and hug from Sister Mary Paul. It's awesome. We're in Texas. Uh, close to Amarillo. Okay, so way up there. Yeah, yeah. Panhandle. Where they actually get Among the same yeah. in the wind. Right. Yes. Dust storms and blizzards. And yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Sister Mary Paul um, was very closely connected with Father Peter Hawken. Of course, we know Father Peter. He came and visited us four times, which was a great blessing to our community. Um, we connected with him some in Akana and in the Wittenberg meetings. Um, and Sandy, our own Sandy went up and visited him and stayed with him for about three months, I think. So close connections between us and them. Uh, Father Peter has a house, had a house in Heinberg, Austria, called the Heinberg House which is very similar to CTR in the sense that it's a gathering place, it's a place of formation, of worship, and of prayer. Uh, but unlike CTR, it's more a place where the nations come, so people from all over Europe come there. And now Sister Mary Paul has taken up leadership of that house. We'll share a little bit more about that later. But uh, know that she comes from a very similar environment, and her heart is very much joined to ours, and so we just invite you to come and share what God has given you, and we welcome you this Thank morning, you Sister much. Mary Paul. Is this your phone? It is, and it's recording. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it caught all that. It's like, it's like spies, you know, they just leave their phone <laughs> surreptitiously. <laughs> Um, I'm really, really glad to be here. Um, as, as Thomas said, I am from Texas, and, and I ended up moving to Austria. That's a very long story. And, and before I moved to Austria, I was living up in the Panhandle, and I was doing ministry there. Went over to Austria, and my mom always says to me, can't you come back to Texas and do the things here that you do over there? And until this moment right now, the Lord hadn't really allowed that. And so, so this is really, this is making my mom's heart very happy. <laughs> That's right. So, so my mom's happy that I'm doing something of the same thing actually in Texas that I do in Austria. And I'm very happy because um, when, I, when I lived in, in Texas before, um, I was, I was uh, teaching at a Catholic school, I was administrator of a Catholic school, but the topics of, of unity in Israel and the second coming weren't, weren't something really on my radar. And once it came onto my radar, then I had such a longing, I want to bring this back to, to where I am. So it was such a joy then when Father Peter would come back from here, from CTR and say, Wow, you know, the Austin House of Prayer, they're doing this, and they're praying for this. And so I started to see, okay, the Holy Spirit's working everywhere, you know. <laughs> and that's, that's the sign of the Holy Spirit, that he can do the same thing in Alaska and in, and in Brazil and, you know, 
because he's, he's, he's moving and he's doing something. So when Amy asked me about coming, uh, she, said, she said that, uh, when she asked me about today, she said that, that the topic that, that you would be going into is the role of the Holy Spirit in the Nicene Creed and, and how the Holy Spirit's spoken about. Um, I think you all know that the Holy Spirit was one of Father Peter's favorite topics, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, um, the testimony of his of, of how the Lord took him home uh, um, shows also how much the Holy Spirit loved Father Peter <laughs> because the church had just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Father Peter was there. A lot of his vision was being fulfilled um, there in the, in the center, in the heart of Rome. And, um, and then he came home and he died. It was, it was incredible. I mean, we were all shocked and sad I mean, the month after he died, I just would wake up in the morning crying. Um, but I was also happy for him because I saw how the Lord honored his servant. Um, in fact, one, um, I can't even remember who it was now, met Father Peter the Monday after that Pentecost event and said, Father Peter, what are you going to do now? And Father Peter said, now, Lord, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. And, and everybody kind of heard him say that and thought, why is he saying that? Um, but, you know, the only other thing that could have happened, well, there's two things that could have happened that would have been also fulfilling one of Father Peter's visions. There could have been a second council in Jerusalem. That would have also been quite a way to go out. Or Jesus could have come. <laughs> Spirit uh, in relation to, to his coming. Probably the year before Father Peter died, um, he started to emphasize that there is not comings of Jesus. There wasn't the first coming and the second coming. There is the coming of Jesus in two separate manifestations. And I want to emphasize that at the beginning because because how we see the Holy Spirit preparing the coming um, 2,000 years ago, I think is also happening now as we, as we look towards the second coming. So there's the coming, and it's, it's, it's wrapped up in what the Holy Spirit is doing, what the Holy Spirit did and what he's doing, you know, because God is, God is one and there's no time and all that stuff. So it's a mystery. I want to talk about five different dimensions. There are other dimensions we could talk about, but I just want to, I want to touch on five. So, so I'll start with 2,000 years ago, or the, the history leading up to the, to the first coming, and then, and then I'll talk about what's happening now. So I'll, I'll, I'll name the, the five dimensions that I want, to, I want to emphasize. And by the way, I use... Um, some different sections out of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, there's some really beautiful things in here about, about the coming and the Holy Spirit and how, how the Holy Spirit is working. So the first dimension, the first um, part, the first element of how the Holy Spirit has worked uh, is, is what 
the catechism calls a theophany. A theophany is, is, a, is a manifestation of God. And the catechism says that the, the, the theophanies in the Old Testament were, were God's like curriculum. It was his, his pedagogical method. How he slowly was revealing himself. So that's, that's the first element. The second is the prophetic dimension. I don't have to explain that too much. The third is the Elijah dimension. The fourth is the Marian dimension. And the fifth is a marital dimension. So we go back to theophany. Um, if I have a one-year-old child in front of me who I want to learn uh, who I want to teach reading to, I don't hand them a college textbook. You know, um, God, God wanted to reveal himself to his people. And when I say in the very, very beginning, his people, I mean, it included all of mankind. After the fall, he wants to restore what was broken. And, and so he, he begins to reveal himself. But just as, as we would teach reading to a one-year-old, you know, you actually put them in your lap and you, and you read the book to them. So God slowly revealed himself in the world. And it actually, he was revealing himself from the moment of creation, the spoken word and the breath. So the coming of, of Jesus is always accompanied by the breath, by the spirit. The word I can't speak without breathing. The Father couldn't speak his word without breathing, and that breath was the Spirit. So he speaks the word, the word creates, but it's with the breath that the word is spoken. So this theophany of creation, um, from the beginning, was already showing something of who God is. And in fact, I think in the very beginning, they knew a great deal about who God was. But because of sin, the veil came, you know, the, the, the doors in the garden were closed. And, and so we lost part of what we knew about God. Another, another theophany, another intervention of God manifesting himself was uh, the story of Noah. So mankind's making a mess of things. And God knew he has to intervene. He has to come and show himself. And, and part, of his, part of his manifestation was, uh, was calling Noah, giving Noah instructions, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, uh, the rainbow, the covenant over the Ark. <laughs> Sorry. The covenant over the Ark, the rainbow. God revealing himself as one who makes covenants. And then, of course, we come to Abraham. And it's another moment when God really comes into history. Abraham wasn't planning to move to Israel, form a new people. He had, he had his life. He had his probably, you know, he had his livestock and he had his land and he had his children and, and his wife. And God came in and, and called him. And he manifested himself to Abraham somehow. I... I don't know how did God manifest himself to Abraham. Um, 
probably he heard him somehow because there was a calling. And again, it was if 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 Abraham heard a word, it's accompanied by the breath. So there's the word spoken and the breath, and and Abraham knows that God is speaking to him and knows to be obedient. There's a very nice quote in the Catechism. Um, it's paragraph 705 for anyone who, who's interested. I'll read it uh, slowly. Disfigured by sin and death, man remains in the image of God, in the image of the Son, but is deprived of the glory of God. So after the fall, we remain in God's image, but but we lost the glory. So I read this, this part of the sentence again. But is deprived of the glory of God, of his likeness. The promise made to Abraham inaugurates the economy of salvation, at the culmination of which the Son himself will assume that image and restore it to the Father's likeness. By giving it again its glory, the Spirit who is the giver of life. So the promise of Abraham is already showing us that the, the, the image and likeness of God is going to be restored. That we will have the image and the glory of God, who is the Spirit. Another theophany in the Old Testament is when God gives the law. And I've been learning a lot more about, about the meaning of the law as I've gotten to know more and more Jewish people. And gotten to understand more and more um, how how Jewish people um, understand the law. Um, when before I met all these Jewish people, when I would hear law, it had a negative connotation for me. You know, we don't want the law. We want love. We want you know. <laughs> um, we think, oh, Jesus came to get get rid of that. You know. Um, I'll tell you a story to illustrate uh, the Jewish reverence of law. Last year, um, I have to be careful because sometimes I tell stories and they go too long. But this is a good story. Last year, um, no, this was a year and a half ago, I was with a group making a, a prayer journey in, in Portugal. And we were praying and, and looking at the history of the, of the Moranos, the, the Anusim, so these are the Jewish people who were forced to become Catholics. And we wanted to go there and we wanted to, to find the history out and we wanted to repent and see what, what the next step should be taken. So we come to a place, um, uh, what was the name of that place? Anyway, we came to a place where the Inquisition had been horrible. They had a court of Inquisition. Coimbra, Coimbra is the name of the, the, name of the village. We came to Coimbra, and we visited the court of Inquisition, and then we walked on the way that they would have taken the Jewish people to this main, main city square, and, and they were burned there most of the time. There was no memorial there. There was no, there was no um, nothing indicating the history. But there was a very, very, very old church from, um, from like, the year 1100 that was still standing in that square. 
And as we're looking around and we searched for a memorial, we're looking around and there's nothing. There's no memorial. But then we realized the stones of this building witnessed everything. Um, you know. You know what I mean. <laughs> In history, the, these stones witnessed everything. So we decided let's go and pray at this place. And let's pray that this, that this little church will somehow become a place of, of memory for what happened in that square. So we come to the, we come to the church. The next part um, is, is not concerning uh, the main point of the story, but it's funny. Um, we looked at the church and we thought, it's closed. It's abandoned. No one's been in there. And our tour guide said, every time I've come here, it's never been opened. Um, I think it's never been, it's, it's not being used anymore. And so, and so we wanted to prophetically declare that this, this, this church would be a place of memory. And so a few of our, of, we had a Messianic Jew and um, a Lutheran pastor, they went to the door and they screamed at the door, open! <laughs> and they started to worship and, and we were all worshiping and a guy comes by and he says what are you doing we said well and we explained and he said well actually there's a side door and so <laughs> we, we go around to the side of the building and there was a door it was open <laughs> and inside people were having a Eucharistic adoration <laughs> so you can imagine um, like what, what those people must have been thinking. <laughs> Open! <laughs> so we went in very like, like sheepishly, you know, and humbly, and we prayed. Um, this church was, was um, stone. I mean, it was stone and, and um, no painting, no stained glass. It was very simple. In the front, there was an altar. There was a crucifix, and then there was a statue of Mary. And, and, of course, the Catholics in the group were thinking, I know that this is an uncomfortable place for the, for the Messianic Jews with us. The next day in the bus, we had a long discussion of how we um, experienced this embarrassing moment. And, and one of the women said, one of the Messianic Jewish women said, my heart's desire is to see a Torah scroll in the place where where the statue of Mary was. In fact, my heart's desire would be that the Torah scroll uh, even would, would, would be in the place of where the Eucharist was. And of course then, this brings a little tension in the bus, <laughs> you know, because we're thinking, well, can we have both? And so we said, we said, can you explain to us why is the Torah scroll that, that significant to you? And she said, because as Jewish, as Messianic Jews, we believe that the Torah scroll contains the word. And the word is Yeshua. And of course, the Torah scroll was, was given through the, through the breath of God, written. And so the Holy Spirit was involved in this. You know, from, from the beginning, the law was given, was given to Israel. And the, the catechism describes the law as part of God's teaching plan. You know, it's kind of like the rules of the classroom. Um, when you're teaching the child to read, you know, they, they have a, a few rules. You know, you have to spend this many, 
many minutes in homework and you need to read this book and you need to do these exercises. So the, the law, the Torah, um, spoken through the Holy Spirit is part of this theophany of God revealing himself. Can I say one thing, Sister Ray Paul, about um, Catholic worship and a lot of liturgical worship you will possess with the scripture. And, and that, that's taken from the Jewish practice of processing with mm-hmm. the Torah. And, and, and sometimes there's, there's lots and lots of rejoicing when the Torah comes. There will be dancing and attempts to touch mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. So I, I, there is a, a connection yeah. that we have. For sure. Uh, last year I was in, um, in, in Uganda at a big, huge charismatic conference. And during the mass, uh, they, had, they had three different processions. They had the entrance procession where all the priests and ministers and you know, people come in. Um, and this conference had 150,000 people, so the procession took a long time. And then they had the Word of God procession. And, and it, it, I mean, it took like 15 minutes because they walk from this main chapel all the way down to the stage. And everyone's singing and dancing and rejoicing because the word of God is coming. Yeah. And, and they, they then handed the Bible to the priest who was celebrating, and he, and he went on stage and he held it up. And all 150,000 people just, you know, yeah. And they were cheering and like, wow. I wish we could have um, such an experience in our American church. In the European church, it would also be <laughs> very helpful. Um, Just to mention, um, some of the theophanies of the Old Testament include the burning bush. You know, suddenly there's this strange thing happening, and it's God revealing himself. Um, The three guests of Abraham, (laughs) which is uh, something special for CTR with your, your icon there. You know, that God was revealing himself to Abraham, but very disguised. And he wanted fellowship with them. So God, God's revealing himself. Um, Joshua chapter 5, when they come into the land, Joshua's met by this, by this man. And he's, Joshua says, are you for us or are you against us? And he says, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua fell down and worshiped. You know, was that, was that Yeshua revealing himself? Who, who, who was that, you know? Who was the commander of the, of the, Lord, of the Lord's army? So, so in the first coming, there were, these, there were these theophanies happening. God slowly revealing himself, slowly getting the people ready, you know, going through elementary school, teaching the child to read until finally they could read the, read the college textbook, read, could, could pass the exam, you know? Um, it was God's divine pedagogy. So now we jump to present. How do we see theophanies happening today in our time? How is God like breaking in unexpectedly, um, not out of man's planning, not, um, you know, a lot of times at churches we have, we have like five-year plans. You know, we want our people to get here so we develop a plan. Theophanies have nothing to do with that. They're just God manifesting himself somehow. Before, before saying uh, anything else, we have to remember what John says. 
um, in the gospel, John chapter 1, um, there will be no new revelation. I mean, Jesus has come. We don't get it all yet, <laughs> but he's here. You know, he has come. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then I skip to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of grace and truth, we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Um, this is a mystery. We're waiting for his second coming. We're waiting for this appearance. But he has come. But the full manifestation is not, is not revealed. But, but what we need to know, we know. So it's, it's one of these mysteries uh, that we simply bow down in front of and not try to figure out. So what are some modern theophanies? I think this is what Father Peter would have called um, surprises of the Holy Spirit. Um, in the last 120 years, there's been some amazing surprises of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Pentecostal Charismatic Renewal. Nobody expected that to happen. There wasn't a, a workup to it. <laughs> you know, it just, God intervened in history. God started to manifest himself. Um, if you think uh, uh, back to a moment when God revealed himself to you, uh, it was probably without your trying to do something. You know, maybe you asked him, but you can't, you can't, like, will it to happen, you know? <laughs> like, if I squeeze hard enough, <laughs> Jesus is going to show up. Um, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was 15. I was at a retreat. I did not want to be there. I thought it was all very strange. I, 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 I wanted to go home. I was hiding in the back of the room, like, for real, hiding in the back of the room. Under, I was, like, under a table. <laughs> Yeah, I was hiding. <laughs> and it's silly because I'm as, I was as tall then uh, as I am now. And I was, I was trying to hide, you know. So. Um, and, and the guy who was leading, he, he called me out. And I, I stood up because I didn't want to be embarrassed, you know, to try to act normal like everybody else. So I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm like inwardly saying, no. No, no. And then suddenly I'm on the ground. Okay, what's happening? And even when I'm laying on the ground, I'm just fighting it. No, no, no. No, I, I think they must have they, they must have put some potion in the air, you know. We're all having hallucinations. This is a trick. And then I stood up, and all around me I see the glory of God. So I didn't do anything to get that. You know, I was fighting it. Tooth and nail. And God knew, and he intervened, and it happened. Um, and I think, I think a lot of us have similar stories, you know? Just moments when God appears, and you know it's him, and that's a theophany. That's God's spirit breaking into our lives. Um, 
As we look towards the second coming, uh, I think we can see that God is, God is moving in individuals, but he's also moving in a huge way in big worldwide things. So the Pentecostal Charismatic Renewal, that has impacted billions of people. And it's all happened within 100 years. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he's, he's manifesting the same thing here and here and here. You know, it's, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, the second surprise of the Holy Spirit in the last 100 years is the ecumenical movement. That just, you know, some people saw, gosh, we need to start getting along better. We need to stop arguing. But then, but then the spirit was poured out that people started to desire unity. And, and it started to spread and it started to move. And of course, this is, this is like closely intertwined with, it, with the charismatic renewal. Because in, in a lot of circles where, where, there's, where there's people who have been involved in these things, they also want unity. So the spirit, the spirit moves in us to desire unity. Um, another modern theophany, another surprise of the Holy Spirit uh, is the Second Vatican Council. Um, you've got this huge church that needed major reform. And we're not capable of doing that ourselves. Uh, at Wittenberg in Rome, Father Peter, or Trent, Father Peter repented that the Catholic Church had not been able to reform itself. Uh, the Catholic Church tried, but, it was, but the Catholic Church wasn't able. And so, so God sent this guy Luther, you know, to shake things up. So it's a work of the Spirit. Um, the Second Vatican Council, you know, this guy, Pope John XXIII, shows up. He's a little bit um, out of the box. And then he calls a council. You know, that's a huge, um, it's a huge undertaking for the church to have a council like that. It, dis it disrupts everything. It disrupts the diocese and the local churches because, because everyone has to be focused on what's happening in Rome. Uh, but out of this council, uh, real reform could start happening in the Catholic Church. And finally, we see the, um, um, the coming, the, the um, yeah, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Emergence. The emergence of the Messianic Jews. Um, again, it wasn't a program of a church. It wasn't a well-thought-out anything. It was just the Holy Spirit moving in, in hearts of the Jewish people. Dreams, visions, supernatural things. And they started to see that, that Jesus is the Messiah. So I want to move to the prophetic. Uh, the prophetic dimension of what the Holy Spirit did in the first coming and is now doing in the second coming. Um, in the Old Testament, we see all the prophets who were raised up. Um, and their purpose, the reason why God raised up these prophets, was to, was to keep Israel on the right way and to prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord. So just uh, looking at a couple of the prophets. Jeremiah. There's a beautiful, um, beautiful verse. Sure. 
And by the way, your versus your cards are over here. Oh, thank you. Okay. Maybe I'll just grab some water while I'm on. Thank you. So this is Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. This is, this is the calling of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm just a young guy. And, and, then, and then skip to verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And I think this is the definition of a prophet. Having God's words in your mouth. And God's word can only come through, this, through the breath of God. Because when he speaks, he needs to use the breath. And when we speak, we need the breath. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt really like I've got, to, um, I've got to give a word. I've got to tell somebody something that I think God's given to me. Um, uh, but you don't. You hold it. I, I've done that sometimes. Amy's looking at me like, you can do that? I'm shocked. I did it a couple of times. And um, holding God's word inside of you makes you want to explode. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of painful. One time I was at a, at a big um, worship thing in, in Franciscan University of Steubenville, and the Lord had, had spoken to me that he wanted to heal somebody. And I was, I was too, like, I'd never given a word like that before, and I was like, I can't do it. What if, what if it's wrong? And so I kept my mouth shut. And the next morning I woke up, and I felt like a train had hit me. And I came into the kitchen, and there was a, a sister there who also had been involved in the healing ministry. And she looked at me, and she said, God gave you a word, and you didn't deliver it. <laughs> I said, you're right. It's true. So, so, um, so a prophet is someone who receives the word of God, and then God is saying, now give it. You know, don't hold it in because I've given it to you for a purpose. Um, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 2. Again, this is the calling of Ezekiel. And their callings most of the time came with a theophany, you know, God appearing to them, breaking in. 
So this is Ezekiel chapter 2, starting with verses 1 to 5. Ezekiel had just had, had an amazing vision, and he fell down before the Lord because of the vision. He knew it was God. And, and he said to me, so God spoke to him and said, Son of man, stand upon your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, and when he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I will send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels, who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And then he says, I'm sending you to them. They're going to be stubborn, they're not going to listen. But I'm still placing my word in you, and I'm sending you to deliver it. So that's a hard job. <laughs> and then um, skip down to uh, ch chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. So, so God has, has said to Ezekiel, this is going to be a hard job that I've given you. People are not going to listen to you. And then verse 12, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and as the glory of God arose from its place, I heard behind me the sound of a great earthquake. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and they sounded like a great earthquake. This is referring to the vision that he saw. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of, in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. So the spirit, the, the spirit in the prophet Ezekiel um, spoke to him, lifted him up, and then sent him out. There's, a, there's an interesting, um, one small interesting um, line in verse, seven, uh, in, uh, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, the Lord said to him, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So there's, there's something about the calling of Ezekiel to be a watchman. And very often now we hear people saying, I want to be a watchman over Jerusalem. And they're, they're referring to, to intercession. But when, when God asked Ezekiel to be a watchman, he was, he was saying, I need you to make sure they're going on the right way. And it meant to actually tell them and to deliver strong and difficult words. Um, so we see these prophets through the Old Testament um, being sent by the Lord, being raised up by the Lord, having God's word put in their mouth. Uh, a scroll was given to, to Ezekiel that he had to swallow. So receiving the word in order to give the word. And now, in our modern time, um, we have modern prophets. And the prophetic, the prophetic gifting, you know, we use this kind of lingo now. The prophetic gifting often comes along with, with something that the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, a, few, a few months ago, I was in Dallas. And, and I, was, uh, I, I was with my brother. I went to the Messianic Jewish congregation, Baruch Hashem. That's where a lot of TJC2 people are, and I went to visit them. 
And after the, after the service was over, I was walking out, and a woman walked up to me. I've never met her. She's never met me. And she, she turned to me, and she took my hands. And my brother was with me, by the way, who'd never seen anything like this. <laughs> so this woman grabs my hands, and I look at her, and she started to prophesy. And she told me, like, about ten things that I had been praying for. And I never, I, I wasn't sure if the Lord was hearing me, you know, how we feel about sometimes. And, and she just started to speak specifically into certain things. And um, my brother was listening to this, and his mouth was just, you know. <laughs> because there were a few things that I had shared with him. You know, I'm praying about this, and I'm praying about this. He, he's a brother who I can share with about these things. So he was stunned. And, and then in my heart, I said, Lord, can you, give, can you give my brother a prophecy? I didn't say it out loud. I just, in my head, I said it. And this woman turns around, <laughs> grabs my brother's hands, <laughs> and started to prophesy over him. And she gave him exactly a word that he had received the year before from someone. That the, that the father was going to provide for him. Well, by this time, my brother is like, he's done. You know, he's crying. <laughs> and this is a prophetic gift. That Lord, Lord put words in her mouth, probably pointed me out to her. And it, only the Holy Spirit can do that. There's nothing else that can do that. So, so the prophetic is being raised up in our day. And, uh, and it's even something we can talk about just so freely because it's, it, it, it happens around us. Um, yes, there's a, um, there's a verse in Revelation chapter 2 that I want to I look at. So Revelation 2 verse 29 So you know the first part of Revelation, um, the Spirit is speaking to the churches, um, to the different churches at that time and, and speaking sometimes very hard words. And the angel says to John, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, I think part of the prophetic anointing is also um, receiving prophetic hearing, you know, that we're, it's not just that the word gets delivered, it's that we also have an ear to hear it. Um, you know, this woman who came up to me and grabbed my hands, I could have thought, who is this woman, why is she doing this, I could have, I could have rejected it. Um, but somehow I knew in that moment, okay, <laughs> I don't think she's going to hurt me. <laughs> And I was able to receive it, you know. So there, there's like both sides of the prophetic to, to give it and to hear it. And of course, um, at the first, at, the, at, at Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, uh, now I'm looking at, at Acts chapter 2. The Spirit is poured out um, 
um, there's all these people who receive. Everyone hears, hears the language in their own mother tongue. They don't understand what's going on, so they think, they think people are drunk. And then Peter stands up and he says, Men of this is verse 14, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So it's again using that phrase about listen, you know. I'm about to say something important. I'm about to be a prophet. Now you listen. Um, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So Peter is saying, what the prophet said, I'm repeating to you, and now you're seeing it. This is happening right now. So let's move to the third dimension, uh, the Elijah dimension. Elijah was a prophet, but there, there was something special he carried that, that we hear a lot about today. Um, Elijah is the prophet who, who uh, challenged the prophets of Baal, you know, and, and he, he, uh, he challenged them to call uh, fire down upon, upon their sacrifice, and then he, he poured water all over his sacrifice, and they called upon God to do this. And, and he says, he says, um, he's prayed to God, and he said, he said, come so that the hearts of the people will, will turn toward to you. So we know the we know the verse from Malachi, I think, where um, where he says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. So so the the Elijah spirit has something to do with turning. You know, he's here now. We need to turn around and see him. And and the Elijah spirit, the 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 spirit working in Elijah was has this anointing of encouraging people to turn and see, to turn and see the Father who's here among us. Um, before the first coming of Jesus, um, of course, there's John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist in, in, in Luke's Gospel, there's so many things that connect John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit. Uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will go to the sons of Israel, to, uh, to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So John the Baptist had this anointing of Elijah, which was an anointing of the spirit, to help people turn, to help people convert, you know, to God's here, now turn around and look at it. When Jesus... Um, when, when John, the disciples of John go to Jesus and say, are you the one who's to come? And Jesus gives a testimony about John, so we can believe it, you know. <laughs> if Jesus gives testimony, it's for sure true. And Jesus said, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So John, Jesus was saying, I'm telling you who this guy is. Can you accept it? And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is being a prophet. He's saying, I'm delivering a word to you. Can you hear it? 
Can you receive the word I'm giving to you? The modern Elijah. Um, I don't know, have, have, have you heard people say, that guy has the Elijah spirit, or there's the Elijah anointing, or... Um, and a lot of people use that, that phrase when they're describing someone who's preparing for the second coming of the Lord, just as John the Baptist prepared. Um, I think it's very interesting, uh, as you look... As you look through, through the last, uh, like, 50 years, uh, there's been a lot of things happening in the church that, that's emphasizing the Father. So the Toronto blessing has become known as the Father's blessing. Um, the Toronto blessing, I know that there's controversy surrounding it, but I can give testimony uh, what happened to Father Peter there he went to check out what was happening because he heard about it and people were talking about it. He went there just to see and his personal, personal experience was, was really meeting the Father and receiving personal healing. And then he went back a second time and the second time he went, the Lord, the Lord started to, to show him uh, his call to prepare for the second coming. So there was something about there's something about that, what was happening in Toronto, uh, which is now called many, in many circles the Father's Blessing, and it's, it's something about preparing the way of the Lord. So really, I've always not had this factor, I've always thought that Toronto had something to do with the revelation of this call to prepare for the second coming to Father Peter. Mm -hmm. That's correct. That's correct. It happened there, or it was blessed? It started there. there. It started there. It started there. That was like in 1994, I think. I think that's a very important point that you're making. Mm -hmm. Something about the Father and this call. I think it's a beautiful point. I think it's, the, it's like the Father's heart yeah. saying, my son's about to come, y'all. He's <laughs> <laughs> about to have a bride. Yeah. And I need you to pay attention because my son is coming and I want you to look at him. I need you to turn around and see him coming. Um, I tell you something that's happening in Slovakia. Uh, this, is not, this is not well known, but for Slovakia, it's like an earthquake. Um, there's something called a Father Heart course that started uh, in England, I think. And then from England, it moved to New Zealand, and it went to a couple of other English-speaking countries. But it, it's a very, very, very small ministry. It's just, yeah, I mean as international ministries goes. It's bigger than Mr. and Christie, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a small, small thing. Um, uh, the couple who ran the, the, the course in England was invited to Slovakia. And they came there and they did the course. And the people there loved it so much that they invited them to come again. So they came again. And this Father Heart course, I did it last year because I heard all about it, so I thought, I want to see what this is. And it's just about receiving the love of the Father. Simple as that. And, of course, they have a lot of things to prepare you for that. But, but um, so, you know, everybody's crying. And, you know, they should get, like, uh, uh, payback from the, from the tissue companies. <laughs> you know? 
because I think they buy more Kleenex, you know, for that <laughs> ministry than, than people buy just for normal things. Um, so many, so many people have been touched by the Father's heart and just receiving the Father's love and knowing their identity as the children of the Father. And now this couple is running um, 33 courses every year in Slovakia. Wow. Wow. And it's a week-long course. Just in Slovakia. Just in Slovakia. How many people are in Slovakia? I don't know. They are. this course. But a lot of people do it a second time because it's so beautiful. But it has reached a significant portion. Yes. And can you imagine? Transforming a nation. Yeah, it's transforming that nation. And now it's moving yes. into Hungary. It's moving into Poland. It's oh, moving yeah. into Austria. Eastern Europe. Yeah. Kind of so it's... The Father's heart getting revealed. Why? Why is the Father doing that? Because he's saying, uh, my son's coming. Get ready. Um, there's, there's a, in the, in the Catholic Church, there's something called unbound. It's a, it's a way of deliverance prayer. Unbound? Unbound. Mm-hmm. By Neil Lozano. And they also call this the heart of the Father Ministries. And um, I listened to a lecture once by Neil Lozano, and it was also very strongly saying, what is deliverance ministry? It's only um, getting the children to come back to the father, you know, to let go of the deception. So there's, there's a lot of father talk going on. And I want to mention Israel here. Um, the father, of course, wants Israel to see and wants Israel to hear. You know, the, prophet, the prophetic word that went out to Israel is still going out to Israel. The Elijah, the, the prophecies of Elijah are still for Israel. The, the prophecies of Isaiah and all of these are still for Israel. Um, but they don't have, many of them don't have eyes to see and ears to hear yet. And it seems like, from what Romans 11 says, that God has actually prevented them from seeing and from hearing. Um, he says in Romans 11:8 that he put a stupor over the house of Israel so that the word of God could go out to the Gentiles. Um, but, but now, with the emergence of the Messianic Jews, it seems that they're getting ears to, ear, ears to hear and eyes to see. And I think this is a major thing to pray for. You know, Lord, just keep doing it. Keep, keep unveiling, keep removing the, the veil from in front of their face so they can see and so that they can hear. Am I okay on time? Ooh, getting close though. <laughs> um, I just want to mention two other, two other dimensions. The Marian dimension. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, there was a major theophany uh, <laughs> with Mary <laughs> you know <laughs> um, you know she's there in her house the Holy Spirit shows up through, through Gabriel and says, and says uh, you're going to be the mother of, of, of the son of God and then she's pregnant I mean talk about theophany <laughs> you know in the flesh theophany um, she became mother through the Holy Spirit. 
there's so much mystery that surrounds Mary. She became mother. Um, she went to visit Elizabeth. And there was this meeting between John and Jesus, you know, and the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. Um, the, the wedding at Cana, Mary says, do whatever he tells you. You know, so Jesus' ministry is unleashed, you know, by, by Mary's spoken word somehow. You know, it's a mystery. How, how was God doing that? Um, the moment at the cross, her faithfulness to, to stand by him at the cross, her presence with the apostles, uh, with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Um, during the worship uh, now, uh, something, something really struck me. And I hadn't thought of it until just, just during the worship. Um, why don't we hear now today people talking about, ooh, that woman has a Mary spirit. Ooh, that woman is moving in the spirit of Mary. Like we talk about the spirit of Elijah. Why don't we hear that? I think it's because we have so much uh, destroyed the, the image of who Mary is. You know, I would be afraid as a Catholic to say that because I, I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. But we don't have a problem saying this person moves in the spirit of Elijah. Mm -hmm. But it's because we haven't destroyed Elijah <laughs> as Catholics. But as, as Catholics, we have really distorted her image. But what is the spirit of Mary? I think it is her obedience. You know, why was the Spirit able to do so much in Mary? Because she kept saying yes. Mm -hmm. She just kept saying yes over and over and over again, no matter what. She just kept saying yes. And so, you know, we need, we need people to move in the Spirit of Mary like never before. You know, we need the Mary spirit to be, and, and then if we call it the Miriam spirit, it's even better because it's restoring her name uh, as the Jewish woman. And this is very, very much connected to the marital dimension of um, what the Holy Spirit did. And this is one of my all-time favorite discoveries. Um, in the Old Testament, um, God was revealing himself as a bridegroom. So part of the divine pedagogy is that he's actually a bridegroom. Israel is the bride. He's getting ready for this marriage. There's one, there's one uh, really nice thing. You know, we, we, we refer to Hosea when we talk about Israel as the bride. But there's one really nice, it's, I mean, it's, it makes sense. It's not very nice. In, in Hosea chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, he says, I'm going to put up a wall around her, and it's a wall of, of, of briars and thorns so that the bride is going to go in the right way. And that was God's love for Israel. Mm -hmm. So, so when, we, when we feel like God's put me on a path and he's surrounded my, me by spikes and, you know, it's probably God's love to keep me on the right path. Yeah. Um, right before, right before the, uh, the birth of Jesus, we read the, the Gospel of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus came to be. You know, we know this Gospel. Um, Mary was with child, and then Joseph decided to divorce her 
because, because he didn't want to put her to shame. And then the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Um, this year, right before Christmas, I was already home with my family, and I'm sitting in my, my church. It was Sunday, and this gospel was read. And for the first time, I heard something. God, the Spirit of God was protecting the marriage of Joseph and Mary. Mary could have had Jesus without Joseph. You know, God would have done it. He would have protected her. He would have provided for her. Of course he would have. But there's something very significant about the holiness and the sanctity of marriage. Because God is going to come and marry us. You know, so, so marriage is something so beautiful and it's something so prophetic. And it's something that's pointing us to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so even before the first coming, God made sure that it was happening in a good marriage. And so he had to intervene. He had to give Joseph a theophany and say, don't be afraid. This child's from the Holy Spirit. Please take Mary as your wife. And Joseph was obedient and he did it. Um, now here's the, here's the thing that, that I get really excited about um, maybe you've heard this before uh, so I won't, I won't go into too many details but uh, Jesus really came as the perfect Jewish bridegroom he uh, in a Jewish wedding in, a, in, the, in the whole process um there's the father, there's the girl, here's the guy, and he wants to marry the girl. He has to come to the father. So the guy has to come to the father and say, I would like to marry your daughter. If the father agrees, the, the son puts out a cup filled with wine. He just places it before, before the girl. That's the, that's the proposal. And if she takes it and drinks, her answer is yes. So when I read that as a Catholic, I was like, yes, every time I go to communion, it's like the father placing the cup before me and, and saying, will you marry my son? And I'm like, yes, I will. I'll do it again. Um, once, once the son, once the, once the girl drinks the cup, then the son says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's, what, that's the Jewish tradition. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then the, the, the son leaves, and he, he goes to get the, get the house ready. He can't, he can't marry the girl until the father says, the house is ready. So they say, when are you coming back? And Jesus said, I don't know. Only the father knows. Exactly the pattern of the Jewish wedding. Exactly. Um, before he leaves, before he leaves, he gives the girl something called a, I always say it wrong, a matan. It's a Jewish word that means a gift. He gives, he gives the girl the gift, and it's a pledge of his love, and it's a sign that he is coming back. So she has this thing, and she can keep it, and she can remember he's coming back. Um, uh, if, you, if you translate matan, into Greek, it's charisma. 
So what is the matan of Jesus for us? It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our, is our pledge of love from Jesus the bridegroom saying, I am coming. That's like discovery of the century for me. I was so excited when I found that. Can you stop for a minute? Sure. And just pause. Because that was very, very And so now we're living in this time. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the bridal gift with us. Um, and the Holy Spirit is preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. That's one of, that's like his job, you know, yeah. now. Yeah. Um, is to prepare the way. So I, I want to close with, with um, just two different, different thoughts. Um, one thing is, oh, thank you. One thing is for us to remember uh, about having ears to hear and eyes to see. Only the Lord can make us, can open us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. It's not really something I can force myself to do. Uh, he does it. So it's something to pray for that we always will have ears to hear and eyes to see, and to pray for the people of Israel that, that they will all have ears to hear and eyes to see. There's a really, really beautiful quote in the Catechism, and I was so touched by it, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to give you a copy, um, a copy of it. Um, the Catechism in the section about the Holy Spirit. Um, the Catechism emphasizes um, how the Holy Spirit loves to come to the poor. And, and so here's this quote, um, and I'll just read it. The people of the poor, those who humble and meek, rely solely on their God's mysterious plans, who await the justice, not of men but of the Messiah, are in the end the great achievement of the Holy Spirit's hidden mission during the time of the promises that prepare for Christ's coming. It is this quality of heart, purified and enlightened by the Spirit, which is expressed in the Psalms. In these poor, the Spirit is making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Um, in the, in the Maranatha uh, vision, this is, this is like the, the big overall vision that Father Peter had and the teachings that he gave. He, he put it all under this title. Um, there's a, there, there's a, a special um, calling within, within this vision to be hidden. And, um, and Father Peter emphasized actually everyone should embrace the calling to be hidden. Um, some, some people, and I think myself included, I'm not a very hidden person. You know, even though I tried to hide before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just too tall. I'm too tall. Um, the Lord keeps putting me in front of groups to speak. I'm not, I'm not the hidden person. 
But it's not talking about whether you're public or private or an extrovert or an introvert. It's talking about what's the quality of your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Pope Francis, in one of his uh, recent encyclicals, I'm sorry, I can't think of which one it is, he said, he said um, that the, the history of the world is constantly being changed by the hidden ones. People who are, who are hidden, who are interceding, who are, who are praying things in, you know. Um, Thomas DeBay, in, in, in one of his books, also says the same things, that we have no idea in the world who are the hidden people. Who are the hidden people? Who are the ones, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the grandma sitting at the church before mass praying the rosary. Who knows? Who knows who are the hidden people? But I love what the catechism says. In the end, the great achievement of the Holy Spirit's hidden mission during the time of the promises that prepare for, for Christ's coming are the hidden ones. And I think, this is my, my last thing, I think, I think that the, the hidden ones represent the bride. You know, what was the first sin of Adam and Eve? They didn't trust God's word. God spoke a word. They had ears to hear and eyes to see. But they didn't receive it. And so they stopped trusting. And then he, he starts to work his redemption. He goes to Abraham. He asks him an impossible question. Will you leave everything and go to Israel? And, and Abraham's response was obedience and trust. Okay. Like God must have really shown up in a powerful way. And Abraham said, yes. He trusted God's looking for a bride who trusts. And then he comes to Mary. And he asks her an impossible question. And what was her answer? Yes. She trusted. She received the word. She had ears to hear and eyes to see. And she trusted. And now he's saying to us, will you be a bride who trusts? And very often the bride who trusts is very hidden. Sometimes very alone maybe has never been heard, but the Lord, she knows the Lord hears, or he knows the Lord hears. So I'm going to stop talking and pray. I'm still going to be talking, but I'm going to be <laughs> Father, we bow down before your, your majesty. Mm-hmm. We bow down before the mighty works uh, that we see your spirit doing. We bow down before the mystery Lord, there's so much that we don't understand. There's so much um, There's so much moving in our hearts, Lord. But Lord, we just submit to you, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, have your way in our lives. Lord, I pray for all of us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray, Lord, that you open our mouths to receive your word, that we can be your modern prophets. I pray, Lord... That we would be open to the theophanies that you, that you do probably every day in our lives. Lord, that we can see you breaking in. That we can see signs of your presence. Lord, I pray that you would raise up among us those with the Ezekiel spirit. Who will be the watchman over Israel. I pray that you raise up among us the Elijah spirit. Those who will, who will, who will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And Lord, I pray that you raise us up among us the Mary spirit, Mm -hmm. that we will be obedient. Mm -hmm. 
Lord, I pray even now for theophany. To show up and break in, Lord. We are ready for you, Lord. And if we're not ready, Lord, that's when we need you the most. Just come and have your way, Lord. Come and have your way, Lord. We want to be the bride. We want to be the bride who's prepared. We want to be the bride who's made herself ready. We want to be the bride who trusts in you, Lord. We want to be the bride who trusts you so much that we don't care for hidden, unheard. Father, I thank you that you are sending your son. And I thank you that you have sent the spirit to raise up prophets to prepare us, to prepare the way of his coming. Lord, and we just cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord. Come Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, finally, I want to pray for your people Israel. Those who live in Israel and those who are, who are still in the diaspora. Lord, open their ears. Open their eyes. Lord, remove the veil. Lord, we trust your timing. But Lord, we just say, please do it for the sake of your people. For the sake of the covenant you made with your people. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, thank you for all those who we know who have already received the revelation of of Yeshua. Lord, protect them and bless them. Shelter them. And Lord, let them be your prophets in the land. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If anyone else wants to pray something, please feel free. Lord Jesus, I was just struck by just the image of you giving us a gift and then leaving to prepare. And it would be so foolish to think that while you're gone, you're not preparing. Mm-hmm. But Lord, I'm very struck with the question of how are how is your bride prepared? So Lord, prepare our hearts for us to be waiting for you, to be um, preparing ourselves to receive the groom when he comes. Well, what bridegroom wants a bride who is not belonging for him? Lord, I pray if it's as Sister Mary Paul shared that the world becomes based on the hidden ones. The world changes based on the, the fidelity and the passion and the trust of the hidden ones. And I pray for that to grow among us here at Christ the Reconciler. I feel like you've given the community something very beautiful and deep to carry. But I pray you would enable us to carry it in whatever hidden ways it remains. Enable us to carry it with joy and with much intimacy with you. And with no despair, if it's not echoed in other fellowships that we happen to be a part of. I pray that we would carry it with grace. I pray that um, we would not lose what you've given us to carry. We would help each other carry it. 
just as Sister Mary Paul has helped us understand how to carry it in a hidden heart. Thank you, Lord.